we're in a good shirt already this morning. All righty. Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to the May uh, session of the CIO uh, peer group uh, here with us, uh, TechConnect. I um, want to thank everybody this morning for attending, and um, I was going to say a few uh, words, and then I will pass it over to uh, Ray Gilbert and Jamal Shaw, the facilitators of this uh, amazing peer group. And this morning, um, all the way from Stouffville, Ontario, we have uh, Graham Binks. Uh, Graham Binks is the proprietor of a company called Prime Fusion. Um, Graham's been in the business uh, for a long time. I'm not going to say how long he has been because he still looks very youthful. But uh, oh. Graham, <laughs> Graham, Graham's been, um, he's worked with 250 businesses over the last uh, 25 years. Uh, companies like Nike, P&G, Citibank, JP Morgan, Disney, GM. Um, he works um, with CTOs, CIOs, um, and he's been involved with over 500 career projects and dozens of new technology products. And Graham's an author, I believe he's an author of three books that are currently available on uh, Indigo, Amazon, and Barnes and Noble. So I'm looking really forward to this presentation because we've been working on this for a couple of months now. So with that, thank you, Graham, and I'll hand it over to uh, Ray and Jamal. Yeah. Thanks very much, Ryan. Um, hopefully everyone can hear me. Uh, welcome to uh, the CIO peer group at TechConnects to everybody who that we can't see in a, as, a, as a visitor. Welcome back to all those who've been here before. Um, Jamal and I volunteer time with Ryan and TechConnects to sort of help moderate and, and generate questions and discussion during these sessions. Um, Graham himself is going to really lead the discussion this morning. But I think what I'd like to highlight for everyone is we are clearly in a day-to-day, -day, almost week-to-week -week rewriting of the things we're doing, the businesses we're pursuing, the customers we need to, su we need to support. Um, and Graham's a person who's been out meeting many of our peers in uh, large organizations that we're anticipating living with or exposed to disruption. Uh, I think we're all in that state now. So I think he's going to have some words of wisdom that we can certainly learn from and maybe we take some leadership from if we want to pursue some of the books that he's written. But I'll turn it over to Jamal if you're with us. Do you want to make additional comments? No, I just and looking, maybe, forward, looking right. forward to uh, uh, hearing from Graham and particularly any insights he has on uh, how small and medium-sized businesses are going to cope with and uh, take advantage of the environment after COVID. Okay. So thanks, thanks them all, and, and Graham, we'll turn it over to you now, but I encourage everyone to listen and be prepared for your, for your questions later on. Uh, Graham would love to have a very fulsome dialogue with us all as, as we wrap up the session later on. So Graham, let me turn it over to you and give us your words of wisdom and what you're seeing on the horizon for us. You bet, well, thanks, Ray. Thanks, Ryan, and thanks, Jamal, uh, for pulling this together. It's great to meet you all. Um, don't think I've met any of you before, um, which is, um, an honor for me, and I'm looking forward to talking to you through uh, this topic of disruption today. Um, Ray mentioned interactivity, it's very important. You know, I think we're all webinared to death. I don't like webinars. Um, so if I'm running meetings like this, I like them to be interactive. So to ensure interactivity, I'm gonna actually ask you to take part in three exercises in the next 50 minutes. Um, so be ready for those, but we'll have time for Q&A as well. And um, please jump in and, and comment and, and ask any questions you feel appropriate. So let me, uh, let me start up. I'm going to share my screen here and you should be able to see a 
slightly younger picture of me on the front of a deck here. And I promise this is the last time you'll have to look at a picture of me. Um, but the topic today is about exploiting disruption. Uh, I've, um, as, as Ryan said, I've been in the business actually for over 30 years now. And um, I spent about a decade as a chief technology officer bringing software products to market. And a, another decade as a chief information officer buying technology to make my businesses run more efficiently. So I've been a disruptor and a disruptee, if you will. So I've seen this from, from both sides and uh, it, uh, it, it can be scary, but it can also be very exciting. So hopefully um, we'll, we'll reach the second flavor today. So let me um, just, just start off with a story here that I think we're all familiar with, but it's a good place to ground us. Um, quick timeline here, September 2000, 20 years ago almost, Reed Hastings um, went to Blockbuster, the inventors of Video On Demand, um, and uh, offered them to buy his nascent business for $50 million, um, just after the dot-com uh, bubble burst, if you recall that. And he was, uh, I guess, metaphorically laughed out of the, the boardroom of Blockbusters. If you fast forward 14 years, Netflix was in the middle of a phase where they were the hottest stock on NASDAQ, uh, a 10-year run where they returned 5,000%. And uh, that same month, January 2014, Blockbuster closed its uh, last 300 stores. So within 14 years, this industry had completely been disrupted um, so that the, the, the dominant uh, almost monopolist in the industry of video on demand um, folded. And then if we, uh, we go forward another 20 years, and this is all the same month, um, which is very recent, um, you know, several industries now are facing complete collapse, anything regarding large gatherings like concerts, even sports. Um, there's been a big slowdown in brick and mortar retail, while at the same time there's been a pickup in uh, online retail, and of course Zoom is booming. Um, we all know Zoom. Um, maybe we're not all loving it these days because we see so much of it, but uh, they've had a remarkable run. I think over the last couple of months, maybe three months, they're, they're handling 10 times the traffic they were before. When you think of how rarely that breaks, I mean, we're all in technology. That, that, that's a heck of an achievement. So they're booming. So there is a connection here, um, and, and that connection is, is disruption. So there are certain words uh, like innovation, I think that have been number one in the business lexicon for a long time. So long, in fact, that they kind of lose their meaning. So I like to define words. Uh, I think language is important. And this is my definition of disruption. You won't find this in any online dictionary. But I, I regard it as a tectonic shift in your environment. Um, and it changes fundamental assumptions about, whoops, excuse me, about your market and or your operating environment. Um, if I, if I had a dime for every time I've heard somebody say our business has been turned inside out by changes in, and then you substitute the variable, it could be demand, it could be the supply chain, it could be technology, it could be a bunch of other things. Um, you know, I'd be doing pretty well now. So something we're all familiar with. I like to look at two types of disruption. There's inbound disruption, which is done to your business, often seen as a threat, usually. Uh, Blockbusters, you know, is, is the prime example there that we just cited. Um, then there's outbound disruption, which is an opportunity, which is um, when you're able to change your industry in a way that gives you significant connect competitive advantage. Maybe you leapfrog your competitors, or maybe you go into a whole new industry and turn things upside down. 
like Uber did. So we've got Uber, we've got Uber Eats and I know Uber XYZ, you name it. I think any, any uh, physical product or person that needs to be moved over a short distance in a short amount of time, it's right for Uber to uh, disrupt. So if you don't disrupt, the question is, will someone else disrupt? I don't hold to the theory that every industry is always being disrupted, but I think it's important that we're all aware of what could happen in our industry, both as a threat and inbound and as an opportunity is outbound. So it's something I, I believe we should all keep an eye on. Um, I, I think there's a choice. You either deal with disruption that's done to you or you deal in it. You do it to others, essentially, at the right time. But what is the big deal? Like, does it really matter? I mean, you know, does, uh, I, I recommend this actually, if you like introducing humor to your presentations, marketunist.com. Uh, guy called Tom Fishburne, very interesting guy, and it's, it's interesting, but um, you know, does disruption mean the same thing to everybody? Is it relevant to everybody at any time? We don't know, but again, we have to stay vigilant and see. So I'm gonna start, I'm gonna launch a quick poll here um, and ask you on behalf of yourself or your business, this simple question. You know, does your business fear disruption? Does it embrace it or does it ignore it? So I'll give you a minute to vote on that. I think I'm looking for 20 or so votes here, so. It's pretty good. Two more to go. Maybe, maybe someone can't vote because they're on the phone. I'm not sure. All right. Well, we'll stop there. I'll leave it open. You can see the results, right? I'm glad to see this. I, um, I actually met with a group of 40 CEOs based in uh, the US last week, um, predominantly in the Boston area, but they were all over the country. Um, and they were in a wide range of industries. They were not technologists, uh, most of them. Hi, hey, Graham. Uh, Jamal here. I don't know if yeah. others can see it. I can't see your results. I can only oh, you can't see the results. Sorry. Let me just close the poll. Thank you for pointing that. Do you see the results? I don't. Can anyone else see the results? No, no I cannot see. either. Okay. You Let usually me... have to manually share the results yeah, within the poll. Let me share it. Yeah. You have second. to click share results. Where is it? It's in my list here. Oh, I, I can see it here. You can see it? Okay. Yeah, I there just shared them. Okay, you got it. Thank you. Okay. So the results were um, kind of similar. Embrace, which is good. And maybe that explains why you signed up. <laughs> if people ignore disruption, they probably won't be on this, uh, on this web session. But it's good to see. I like it. Um, I'd be interested to hear from uh, whoever fears it later when we do Q&A. Please... Um, Please feel free to share. Um, okay, so we will go back to presentation now. One second. And you can see the deck again. Can everyone see the deck? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're good. Okay. Yep. Good. Good, good, good. All right. So some, uh, some other examples. Uh, I'm going to be asking you, there's one thing all of these three examples have in common, and I will ask you in a, in a minute, so be ready for that question. So we look at Kodak. 
Um, obviously, Kodak in 1888, I think it was, invented the portable camera. Um, prior to that time, cameras were the size of rooms. People didn't, didn't move them around. So an innovator, um, George Eastman was an innovator. And then come 1976, they were in a monopoly position. They had 85% of the camera market, 90% of the film market, very dominant. And um, just a few years later, they actually uh, put out a patent on a digital camera. Interesting. Um, a few short years later, they were at their peak, well, 16 billion in revenue, and 1.3 billion in net profit. And another 10 years on, they were the market leader in digital cameras. They owned 22% of the digital camera market, which in those days you know, was, was still obviously very young. And yet seven years later, they filed for chapter 11. And they filed for chapter 11 because they stuck to their knitting. They helped create the digital camera industry, but they could not let go of film. They knew print and they couldn't disrupt themselves, essentially. Um, the good news is they're still around. They recovered. I think they, uh, they made a profit um, 2016 or 2017. Uh, and now they're at 1.2 billion, um, 116 million in earnings. Um, they're focused on a commercial market, on a niche. Um, but they're a shadow of what they were 25 years ago. So they were heavily disrupted. And in fact, they helped to disrupt themselves <laughs> by helping to invent the technology that put them out of business almost. Polaroid is another example. <clears throat> um, invented instant photography, um, Mr. Land, and they had a monopoly back in the 1960s. And again, a contributor to digital photography. They put a large percentage, 42% of their research budget into digital in the, uh, in the 80s. Uh, and yet in 2001, they filed for chapter 11. Um, they are still around, they're now privately owned, um, but again, a shadow of the former selves. And they believed vehemently that people wanted to hold physical copies of the instant photographs. Um, and it proved to be their undoing. So they could not bank on a digital future. They saw it coming. Again, they contributed to it, but they couldn't give up their cash cow. Essentially, that's what happened. The third example, we've talked about Blockbuster. Um, you know, I think I, I, I brought through these highlights, but just again, to bring up that point, from 2007, 2017, Netflix returned almost 5,000%. Not quite 5,000%, but I would have been happy with 4,948% if I'd have, Netflix stuff in 2007. So quick question, what do those three companies have in common? And it's a semi-trick question here. Polaroid, Kodak, and Blockbuster. And actually Netflix, four. Shall I answer my own question? It's pixels. They all move pixels. You think about it, right? Printed pixels, digital pixels. You don't have to be a pixel mover to be disrupted, but it just happens to be something that that industry, that particular technology uh, has been revolutionized. So customers switch when they win. And, you know, some folks will say technology is disruptive, but it, it isn't. It's the customers that do the disruption. They find something better. So in the case of Netflix, you know, Netflix comes to you. You don't have to go out in the snowstorm to rent a movie to get to Blockbuster only to find out that the movie you wanted to rent is out of stock and you've got to watch some B-movie. And then when it snows again three days later and you can't get back to the store to return it, you don't have to pay late fees. It, it was just so much of a better customer experience than Netflix. In a way, it's a bit of a parallel to what's happened because there was this kind of a social thing 
with block, going to visit a blockbuster store, but nonetheless, I think the, the digital advantages outweighed it and the results speak for themselves. Uh, Amazon comes to you as well. I mean, arguably the best ever supply chain. Um, and um, I, I think we're all benefiting from that even more in the last couple of months than we might've done over the last 10, 15 years. Sadly, of course, there are a lot of garages that are filling up with cardboard boxes as a result. And maybe that's an opportunity for somebody to disrupt again, but that's where we are today. Intel's a, a different example. Um, I like this one because there's a, um, an apocryphal story attached to what Intel did with the, the, the Celeron chip. Um, a lot of you probably will have heard of Clay Christensen. He was a uh, Harvard business professor, wrote a bunch of books, uh, beginning with The Innovator's Dilemma back in 97. Um, and he, um, he tells a story about that book that Andy Grove, most of you will know, was the uh, CEO um, of Intel back in the mid-90s when that book came out. Andy Grove phoned up Clay Christensen and said, I, I want you to fly to California and explain your book to us, my management team. So he did. He got on a plane, he flew over, and he got there, and Andy Grove said, sorry, something's come up. Um, you've got me for 10 minutes. That's it. So he'd flown all that way to spend 10 minutes with Andy Grove. Not, as it turned out, a waste of time. Um, but Christensen said, I can't possibly advise Intel on their strategy because I don't know enough about the business. It'd take more than 10 minutes. And Grove said, just tell me about the book. And the concept of the innovator's dilemma, for those who don't know it, is uh, it's a warning to large incumbents, market-dominating companies of the threat from outside, particularly the threat of disruptive companies coming in if you will, at the bottom of the industry, disrupting it and then moving up, maybe based on price, maybe based on performance or customer experience. Um, so Christensen explained that in five minutes with an example from the steel industry that's featured in the book. Uh, and Andy Grove said, I know what we have to do. We have to introduce a low cost chip to compete with Pentium. Pentium dominant in the market at the time, um, Intel, vast majority and it was built around that one technology. Um, yet they implemented, they, or they brought the Celeron to market, disrupted the Pentium, um, and in so doing, um, they ensured that, or Andy Grove ensured that um, Intel would survive and they're still number one 25 years later. So I like that story. I like how just such a brief explanation of an exciting or interesting um, or inspirational topic can inspire such a great business leader to make a decision that works out. It, it, it's just it's just fantastic. So, but Intel is an example of a company that did what Kodak and Polaroid didn't do. They found a way to disrupt themselves and they embraced it. And the success was there. Long list of industries disrupted. You know, I fade out on the industry, on the column on the left there because it could go on forever, obviously. Um, there's one industry on there that I, I, I wanna, talk about that I kind of made up automotive and footwear design. There isn't such a thing, but I'll explain that in a minute. Um, but you're all familiar with what Charles Schwab did in financial services. We're all familiar with newsprint, uh, transportation, et cetera, hospitality. And then on the right, there's a list here that um, I will point out is um, over a year old. This is not a list from the last two months of industries that are facing disruption. Um, doctor's office visits, uh, healthcare diagnostics, education, insurance, etc. I'll come back to why I think that's important in a minute. But let me tell you a story about the industries disrupted. I've um, I've had the pleasure of participating in uh, in two or three of, of those disruptions, 
and I'll talk about the automotive and footwear design one particular because it's uh, it's a made up made up industry. Um, so I was uh, at a company called Alias, 3D computer graphic company, based here in Toronto for uh, about a decade. Some of you may have heard of Alias. It's uh, was acquired in 2006 by Autodesk. Um, and one of the technologies we had was uh, was aimed at the design industry. It was a, um, a tool called a product called Studio, where you could design um, the shape of consumer products. We had a version of that called Auto Studio, and we um, succeeded in selling that to all of the major automotive brands around the world, from Toyota to Lotus, you name it. Um, and if you look at the design of, for example, BMWs from the early 90s for the following 20 years, you line them up side by side, you'll notice how the designs get subtly um, more complex. There's more curves than angles, et cetera. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that they were able to use 3D technology to design the shape of the vehicle. It's not, um, it's not CAD tool, it's not uh, engineering. It's more of an artist tool. So they would shape the vehicle before it goes into engineering. Um, until that time, when you brought a new model to market in the automotive industry, it would typically cost you a billion dollars. And one of the big factors of the cost was the need to create many, many full-size clay models for the designers and the executive decision makers to see what the new vehicle was gonna look like. Uh, and so obviously sculpting a full-size car out of clay is a long process and an expensive process Sometimes it would take a hundred models. Um, so you can only imagine what that does to time to market. But using the 3D design technology, uh, a lot of companies were able to cut that down to under 10 clay models. And so shave a lot of time and expense off taking a new model to market. And also iterate with a lot more what if designs, hence you know my analogy with, with BMW. Um, and so Nike called us up, um, very visionary, design um, company and it was their footwear division and this is back in 2004 about the time they were about seven billion in revenue just shoes running shoes exercise and they said we've seen what you did with automotive you should be able to do that with shoes because after all it's just another form of transport right so why not come and talk to us about it so we we got um, involved with nike and helped them change their footwear design process to be to go from paper and expensive physical prototypes that would often be manufactured either in a lab in Beaverton, Oregon or in Asia um, to substantially 3D designs, which were almost manufacturable by the end of the process. They, they always would have one or two physical prototypes, but again, they cut that down. And what does that mean for Nike? Well, if you're in the fashion industry um, and it takes you 18 months to get from concepts to uh, retail, which it did for Nike, you're designing based on some leaps of faith around what the fashions will be in 18 months time. If you can shave that down um, to 12 months as Nike did with this process, you're much closer to the market. Um, and over the course of a period of years, and this is all public domain information um, that Nike has since published, um, you can see you can see that the designs got closer to market and the industry followed, Adidas followed, Puma followed, but Nike really led that. So it's an interesting um, example, I think, of a technology that was uh, developed in one industry, automotive, and then was trans transmorphed into another industry, footwear design. And I could give you many more examples, but that, that's one of them. 
Another area that I participated in, <clears throat> this goes back even further. I, uh, I came to Canada in 1992. I grew up in the UK. Um, and back in the 80s, the uh, public transit industry um, was deregulated. Um, the government decided to open up the market. So it went from being large city-owned um, bus services to combination of that and a, a bunch of smaller startups. But there's a complex part of, of public transit that we don't see, which is the scheduling of the routes and the design of the routes. This technology is now available and has been available for 15 years for free with, with Google Maps. But route planning back in the 80s was, uh, was an expensive thing and then turning that into schedules was expensive. These large city uh, companies had big teams to do it, but you couldn't do that if you were starting up. But it so happens that this, at that time, we brought some technology to market to, um, to help create routes and schedules um, which were much more affordable um, than hiring whole teams. This is back in the day when it would cost you 10,000 pounds to buy an IBM PC XT. Any of you remember those? Um, but nonetheless, it was still a lot cheaper. So we were able to play a role in enabling the, the, the public transit industry in the UK and actually all over the world um, and, and even Eurotunnel create their schedules much faster and much lower cost. So again, significant disruption. It's exciting to be around these things. It's exciting to see how your, what your customers make of, of the products that you create. So there's a couple of examples of industries disrupted. Um, why is the list on the right important? My view on what we've seen in the last 100 days is um, short things, a lot of things have changed, but substantially, I believe change was already happening and it's been accelerated. Um, I've been communicating with clients all over the world on Zoom like this for probably eight years. Um, we, we've all done video conferences before, but there was always a barrier to entry and a barrier to adoption. And that barrier was just kicked down at the beginning of March. So it was a trend that was happening. It wasn't slow because of cost. This is all at commodity pricing. It wasn't slow because of technology. It was just slow because in business, a lot of business leaders didn't feel comfortable in managing their teams remotely. And we can talk about that later, but for the time being, I think it's just an example of something that's accelerated. Doctor's office visits. Um, one of my clients is a company called MHS and they license psychological testing. Um, from clinical psychologists who create the tests and then they sell these tests to other clinics. They, uh, they do an annual uh, customer uh, survey and in February of last year, actually when this report was produced, they surveyed their clinicians and, and their clinicians said 17% of them felt that um, video-based counseling could work. One seven, 17%, right? They did the same survey in March and at that point in time, 80% of their clinician, clinician clients were counseling on video. They didn't have a choice. It was either that or just, you know, shut up shop. But more importantly, 75, almost all of those 80% said that they would continue to do video counseling in some form as part of their portfolio for the long term. So there's another barrier that's come down. And now MHS has been advocating more digital clinical tests. Their market was demanding paper last year. The markets leapfrog them now and they're saying, come on, hurry up. We need this all in digital. Where are you? It's interesting how they've been campaigning for that. And then the context that's this, this happened has really, you know, changed the market's perception. So I think industries that were facing disruption a year ago, some of these 
absolutely have, and some will continue. So this speaks to, you know, looking back at the inbound disruption that has happened and looking forward to what could happen. And so then we come to a question of how this could be applied to your business. So I'm going to um, actually copy a, uh, a link into the chat. So those of you that are online, I'm going to ask you if you could please just give me one second here. Stop sharing. Check the chat and click on this link. Can everybody see that? Put your hand up if you can't. No, it didn't seem to come through. It's not in the chat? No. Oh, looks like I um sorry, I was connected to Tech Connects there. How's that? There we go. Okay, good. So if you click on that link, you will see this. All right, so we're gonna have a bit of fun here. So this is a, it's a prototype application, very simple. This application will collect the ideas of a large group like this and within three or four minutes, will have the group's favorite ideas, okay? So what I'm gonna ask you to do here is just to identify one way that your business or industry could be disrupted, whether it's you or someone else doing it. And if you would just enter that into this field here, and then when you're done, please press create idea. Okay, so we'll give you a, a minute to do that. <clears throat> Hey Graham, I got a question for you. Yeah. Um, with Nike, what did, were you, was it the American, was it Beaverton, Oregon? Was it the head office that uh, reached out to you or is it Nike Canada? Um, just cause I'm a, I'm a Nike guy and I asked if you were, if you ever had to work with uh, Tinker. Um, I, uh, I didn't meet Tinker, but we were contacted by a guy called John Hoke, who was the okay. VP of footwear design at the time. Yeah. yeah. So if, if you know his name, um, but yeah, I mean, um, there's pictures of Tinker on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Obviously, yeah, I know. you know, along along with the founders, of course. Yeah. Um, and I, if we have time later, I have a a funny story about Phil Knight, but we'll, we'll save that for later. It's not embarrassing for him; it's embarrassing for me. But that's okay. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> hopefully, anyway, it doesn't have to do with you know. No, no, there'll be no. Uh, you won't be suing. All right, we're looking good here. One, two, three, we've got about 10. We'll skip this a little bit longer. I'd like to get a couple more ideas. Um, if you want to enter two, feel free, you can. Just, just enter multiples, that, that, that's fine. I did say one, but if there are many, since we're all embracing it. It's a good list. Okay, all right, so what I'm gonna ask you to do now is, um, if you click on the vote button at the top there, you will see this, okay? So that's the, uh, those are the ideas that came in. 
I want you to click the vote button. Take, take a, a little while, a minute or so to read down the list and then go back and click on the three that resonate most with you. You shouldn't really vote for your own idea three times, but you can vote for it once and a couple others or whatever combination feels good. But just click on three that you think are relevant to your industry. Now, Graham, some are very vague or too broad. Yes. Well, again, I mean, um, if you feel they apply, vote for them. If not, but you're right. They, some some of these are high, high level. So. Um, Going to give you. few more seconds. Got some votes coming in here. I think I did three. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. You can do more if you want, but. Okay. All right, good. So let's look at the results. I'll, I'll just, uh, I'll share my screen so we can all look at this together. But you can see this if you uh, click on the shortlist menu option there. So the group I think has, um, has picked out online education um, as being uh, one of the top disruptors. And then the inability to have face-to-face -face meetings, very topical, obviously, right? Um, we've got AI twice. I'd say, I guess AI counts as six votes there. So maybe AI is, but AI is so many things, right? So we'll, we'll dilute that. Um, and then of course, preparing workplaces to be post COVID. Be interesting if we had this vote maybe six months ago, this list would have been very different, but there's clearly been a very major influence on our thinking lately, but, um, but that's, that, that's good. That's why we're talking about it. So good to, get the, uh, good to get the feelings of the group there. Let me just go back to the deck here. Um, and kind of want to distill this into some principles to, to help you think through um, afterwards, you know, how this can apply. And, and, and these are the three, I think. Eyes wide open. Um, you know, we're all expert in fields. We've all dedicated our careers to certain areas, sometimes to many businesses, sometimes to a single business. Um, and that's, that's great. But there's a danger in expertise. There's a danger in focus that you get blindsided or you have blinkers on if you were to what might happen. So I, I think a, a useful exercise for all of us is to spend some time every so often envisioning a future when our customer doesn't need us. Um, in some cases, that's okay. In some cases, you know, we're in a niche. This is what we do. If people move out of the niche, we're, we're comfortable. Others will move in and our businesses will thrive. But in other cases, it's not. It might mean that our product range is, is no longer relevant to the market. So when you think through this exercise, the customer doesn't need you anymore. You're really 
putting yourself in their shoes and it should generate ideas around how you can stay relevant essentially. That could be by continuously refining your current offerings. It could be by creating whole new offerings. It could be by going taking your current offerings into new markets. Very rarely, it's a new product, new market. We've all seen the two by two. Um, although I will point out that General Motors is um, manufacturing medical equipment now. Um, again, because of the time. But I think it, it underscores the point that it's not about technology. It's not about a change in supply chain. It's about the customer seeing something that they prefer and then doing that, migrating slowly away or migrating on mass away as has happened between Blockbuster and Netflix. So eyes wide open. Moving bits before atoms. Um, every business has a bunch of information around it. And my experience is that most businesses do not fully catalog what the information is or more importantly could be and how they can more effectively move it from a to b so moving information from you to your customers and back again in digital form before you ship products um, amazon again has succeeded because of the way they they ensure essentially that when you push buy for a physical product um, it's going to be what you've asked for they give you a lot of help along those lines but we've all had experiences where we've ordered products and it's been the wrong thing. It's been the wrong size, the wrong color, or it just doesn't work. Um, I, I have to feel that retail, for example, could benefit if, if there was a better way to visualize that product. Maybe it's a 3D model, I don't know, um, before people buy. But if you can move information to whoever it needs to be with at the right time, and it's accurate information, you create insight and that insight then can drive product whether it's physical or digital. So moving bits before Adams, I think um, we've seen that with Netflix. You know, in fact, Netflix never ended up moving Adams. We've seen it with Amazon. We've seen it with a lot of disruptors. Um, information, uh, it's, it's very cheap to move information, much more expensive to move product. And then there's the point of committing to the pivot. And this is what Polaroid and Kodak could not do. They could not commit to um, you know, starving their cash cow. Um, and, and feeding the cash calf, if you will, maybe digital photography could have become that. Um, so, you know, when is the right time to shift focus? How quickly or slowly, cautiously do you uh, shift focus? How do you validate that shift with your customers? Um, and when do you when do you commit? When do you jump out of the plane comfortable that your parachute is, is going to open? So those three principles. Um, th th there's a lot of more to talk about, I think, beneath each of these. But if we um, if we think about how to second here, I've jammed up. Hello. We can still hear you, Graham. I, I can, okay. can hear you, Graham. Yeah, my, uh, my screen appears to have frozen here. Could you stop the share for me, please, Ryan? One second. It's kind of strange. Everything's frozen. You guys aren't moving. I can see you, but you're not moving. And we can hear you, though. Yeah, well, that's good. That's important. Um, it could be your internet as well. Yeah, but audio is still working. Um, yeah, I, so, I get that quite often, too. Uh, you know, yeah. 
closing yeah. yeah so okay so let's improvise we've just been disrupted everybody um yeah. good R ryan do you have the deck right would you mind sharing it so everyone can see it i'll even look too i might yeah whoever's got it sorry to do this but Conversely, could you mail us a copy of your presentation? I, I, I will send it, yeah, but right now my... Uh, <laughs> well, I, mean, physical. I, I, meant, I meant physical mail, but yes. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. Good one. <laughs> snail, snail mail. Yeah. Mm. Do you have it, Kel? Just because I'm on my iPad, I can't... Yeah, I'm just... I'm actually... Here we go. Um, well, definitely, uh, communication is a disruption. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have it here, so just give me a second, Graham, to see if I can get it to share. Um, uh, share screen. Okay, did did it switch? Yep, I think. Uh, okay, so give me a second then. I will find where we were. It hasn't switched here. Uh, Graham's screen is up. Oh, there we go. Um, okay. Yeah, the three principles. Do you see it? Yes, we can see it, Kelly. Okay, perfect. There we go. So that's the next. Um, Graham, that should be your next slide. I think uh, he, he, yeah, he, he dropped, I, yeah, I think he, he disappeared. I okay, let me. No, no fault to his, of his own. <laughs> just, just, I know there's been a few people who've already dropped off because of internet, because I got yeah. three, so um, let's give it, a, we'll give it a second. But yeah, we will be sending out this deck to everybody after the fact as well. Mm -hmm. So guys, so while we're waiting for Graham, um, he was talking about the Caden Christensen books, which are actually very good um, and interesting reading. And there's another one that I've come across, which I haven't heard a whole lot about in the press, but I'll put the information in the chat here. It's called The Other Side of Innovation. And Christensen talks about how new technology disrupts you and or can disrupt you this guy tells you how to actually then take that new technology and get it implemented because most of the organizations and like graham mentioned you know some of them actually had invested in new technology like uh, polaroid and so on and they could see digital technology coming up but they weren't able to then go ahead and sort of leverage that and get that implemented and uh, leverage that into the market and this guy, um, Vijay Govindrajan, um, actually talks about that very well. Um, and his main, and the interesting thing is, is uh, the title actually comes from mountaineering. And uh, his premise there is, you know, when people take on great challenges, like going on top of Mount Everest or any other difficult climb, they make it to the top. But on the way down is when most of the fatalities occur. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's because, you know, they're so focused on getting to the top. They get there and they say, oh, we've achieved something. But as they're actually heading down, uh, they lose concentration, they lose focus, and uh, they stop sort of monitoring their resources. They run out of oxygen, whatever happens. 
but most of the fatalities actually occur on the way down. Yes, Jamal, uh, it's a wonderful point. Uh, the other thing I read is that people plan to go up, they do not plan to go down. Yes, exactly. That's part of the same thing. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Hi, Mark, um, sorry, sorry about that. Graham, you back? I'm back. There yeah, you can, you, can okay. you see me? Yes. Okay. Uh, good. I, um, I don't know what happened, but I know with a technical audience, you'll understand when it doesn't work. <laughs> Technology is something that doesn't quite work yet, right? That's the, that's the best definition yeah. I think I've ever heard. So, okay. Great. Graham, Graham and Ryan, maybe at this point, since we're reorganizing, we should do a bit of a time check. So yes, that, uh, we sure. have a good, good set of good opportunity for dialogue with everyone. While you've yeah. been gone, Graham, we've been, we've been doing that. So uh, <laughs> I want to leave it to you to, to plan, plan that timing, but I think there's lots of um, good thoughts that the group would like to exchange with you. So yeah, that yeah, that's great. You know, we're almost there. So a couple more minutes and then um, I'm going to take over control here again. So can you see my slide now? Yeah, is that good? All right. So I, I want to leave you with this one. We don't need to do it now, but it's, um, it's, it's practice on one of those principles that I just outlined is, you know, think about one way that your business could apply this principle bits before atoms. So how could you improve the information flow between you and your customers? Interestingly enough, a number of the examples that came up, you know, e-learning, essentially e-learning is moving bits before Atom, right? How do we best do that? Obviously, as I said, Netflix moves bits. They don't move atoms. Um, so so it's, it's food for thought. You could think through any of those principles afterwards, but this is probably the, the easiest one to, to get your head around. Um, one thing I'll send out to the group afterwards is a paper that I just published called Nine Principles of Digital Resilience. I happen to believe resilience is going to take over number one spot from innovation in that business lexicon we talked about earlier. Um, so I've kind of distilled what I think are nine principles to help everyone build a more resilient business using digital. You'll note from the list on the left there that technology is only one of those nine principles, and that's vital. This is more about the practice that surrounds technology than the technology itself. And what we've talked about today, disruption is another one. And we've more than touched on, I think, change uh, and the customer. And we could say, well, we've talked about design, we've talked about technology too. But interestingly, disruption, I think, encompasses a lot of these. Paper's designed to be a 15-minute read, and there is a, a simple assessment tool at the end of it to try and bring together any insights that you've had when you've read it. So we'll, we'll mail that out after the event. Um, I've also got another paper, which uh, I can include, Operator Remote Business at Full Speed, which uh, is way out of date now because I, I published it at the end of the March. And how long ago is that? <laughs> so th there is an update coming. And as soon as the update's ready, I will, um, I'll, I'll include that for everybody as well. Um, and then this is the book that Ryan mentioned in the intro, Trusting Technology. And I, I mention it here for a simple reason that chapter four, as you'll see there, is about changing with your customer. That's where I talk a lot about some of the concepts that, that we've talked about today. I mean, the, the, the book really is, is about, it, it's about how do you use technology to bring ideas to life um, in, in whatever form. Um, the subtitle is Mastering Technology for Non-Tech Leaders, but the reason it says non-tech leaders, I'll be blunt here, is my publisher said, you have to say non-tech leaders because a lot more non-tech leaders than there are tech leaders. I think 5% um, of the, of the, of the um, workforce is actually in technology. So it's designed for tech leaders too, just, just so this audience is aware. 
Um, but anyway, so so that's that's the wrap. Um, you'll have the deck, and there's my contact details if you uh, want to reach out afterwards and, and talk some more. But let, let, let's let's pick up that discussion. Well, thank, first of all, thanks, Graham. I think it was a, a really good outline of the environment we're all in, um, and also bringing along anecdotes of people you've met. Um, I think quickly to use our, our time effectively, I'll invite people online to start raise questions. Any thoughts from, or comments or probes or continue our discussion from anybody online? Hey Graham, it's Ryan. What other like sectors do you think are gonna kind of maybe go way of the dinosaur, kind of like the blockbuster? Do you have, uh, you see some industries completely disappearing um, or um, kind of going to that route? Um, yeah, well, I, I like Forbes list that I shared earlier. Um, yep. um, it's not that sectors go away, I think. I mean, I mean, on-demand video did not go away, right? The industry still thrives. It's just delivered in a, a different way. So in that, um, in that mode, I think I'm excited by the potential for healthcare. Um, I am not a doctor. Um, so I'm not qualified to say this other than, you know, I've been a patient, my family's been patients, and we all have. And I think that's an industry that's ripe for more efficient um, systems thinking, really, um, particularly the mental health area. So I think anything that can bring that to bear to give us all better services. And the healthcare industry's done such an amazing job, um, obviously, in the last few months. But I think in, in, in order to do that, they've actually started to adopt some of these techniques that have been out there for some time. So that they're embracing more remote work um, just to take the load off the system. So I, I'm confident that when we're through this, that industry will be in, in better shape. I like that list. Um, I wish I'd bought Zoom stock in December. Um, if, if I had a similar stock tip for you, I'd rush out and buy it and then I'd share the tip with you. Um, but it, it's, it, it, I, I, I think that the main mess, message here is no industry is completely safe from disruption. That's the point. So it could be any of them. And that might be hedging my bets in an answer to your question, Ryan. But I think yeah. that's the lesson I, I would take away. You know? Well, one of the things I was also thinking about right now is actually physical currency. Nobody's accepting cash. And I think I read 2040 was kind of the, would be the end of physical currency. I think that's obviously been escalated because nobody's actually accepting cash. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I wonder if that trend is going to carry in, and we have a truly cashless society uh, sooner than sooner than later. Yeah, but but absolutely, and I could point to um, M-Pesa in Kenya, which was the first digital payment app about twelve years ago. Cash in in that society is a bad thing to have in your pocket. There's there's a lot of muggings in the streets, so. They dispense with cash quickly, right? And everybody now, now everyone's carrying a phone around, which presumably a mugger would take as well. I don't understand that distinction, but nonetheless, even that's not new. So it's a it's a trend that's being accelerated. You're you're absolutely right. Although I did I did go through a Tim Hortons drive through a couple of weeks ago, and I said you take cash, and the bill was like nineteen ninety. So they took a twenty dollar bill and they kept the change. So you know it's not gone away completely, um, but I think it is a trend that's that's accelerated. Um, I, I, I haven't used, I, I try to avoid cash for a long time. I, I, 15 years, I've been almost entirely plastic, but, um, I think it's something that, uh, that has been accelerated. 
Uh, Graham, this is Len. You think AI also going to be uh, uh, quite a factor in driving a lot of disruption uh, in a, uh, you know in those sector like education or finance? Yeah, we could spend a another hour on this land if I was to give you my opinions about AI, but absolutely. I mean, it's a tool, right? Um, I, I used AI back in 1988 when I was describing the, the route planning. We, we looked at AI as a solution. It turned out not to be the right solution at the time because we didn't have access to the copious data that is now available. But big data and AI feed off each other. You, you can't use big data without some kind of automated analysis, which is what AI is. But I also fear AI is used in, in, a, in a tech marketing sense, it's, it's too broad. Um, but but I, I do feel it's a tool. And one recent example I, I've seen is, that I think it's in France now, that doctors have adopted AI techniques to help um, diagnose COVID symptoms. And at the time, this is six weeks ago, it was taking about three days to turn around a test. Mm -hmm. But with the use of AI, they could make an isolation decision in 15 minutes. Wow. Mm. With a plus with a 95% degree of confidence, right? So I think it's injecting these little, you know, little applications of AI everywhere. It's growing um, and it's coming along. Um, but I don't think AI is, um, is, is necessarily, it's a sledgehammer for some problems. You know, if we know how to solve a problem, we can code it. Mm. If we don't know how to solve a problem, but we know how to learn about it, then we apply AI. And of course it comes with its whole, baggage, I mean, ethics, etc. So absolutely, yes, it's got potential. Um, and I think it is being applied in education. I don't know what you're seeing there, but I, I, I you know, I mean, there are adaptive learning um, yes. technologies now, right? Uh, Graham, hi. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, sorry, this is Rakesh. Uh, if, if I may add to what you said uh, correctly, by the way, uh, my opinion, AI is a tool. It's not a solution. Uh, E-learning is a tool. It's not a solution. Um, you know, all these things are wonderful, but uh, they don't actually address a specific need, want, or desire by anybody, right? So um, AI is very important. I think we all need to keep an eye on it uh, and, and need to apply it to whatever solution that uh, we deem it appropriate. But it's not a solution on its own. That's the only point I wanted to make. Yep. It doesn't mean anything on its own. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Graham, like, I'd like to ask a bit of a question um, in terms of help, having you take your experience in watching different time frames and, trend, and disruption happen. I'd like to, essentially, I'd like to go back to the story quickly. You've used the example of Blockbuster and how it, in the end, didn't make it, um, but Netflix did. But if you go back in Blockbuster's history, they were attempting to create their own network so that they could deliver um, their content by bits instead of physically. Um, so I wonder if one of the things that we should keep in mind, we're telling some of these stories are after the fact, after the, the, the brutal business world has selected winners or the customers have selected winners and eliminated losers. Um, one of the environments we're all in is we're all in that environment, which we don't know what direction to go. We don't know what bets to make. We all have limited resources. Is there any, words of wisdom, observations that you can share when you're in the middle of the mix, like you're running the marathon, but you're in yep. the clump, right? And you don't, you don't know how to win this race and you may change, decide to go on a different race, which is part of the discussion here. Yeah. But how do you, how do you figure out 
so that you ultimately survive and win the race you've chosen, I guess is the question. Yeah, so a couple of parts to that answer I would suggest. The first is, what I would say Netflix was, was actually, um, they were in the right time and the right place, no doubt. They, they took advantage of a platform opportunity. Um, the telcos invested significantly in internet capacity in the first half of the noughties decade. And Netflix proceeded to occupy, I think at one point, 40% of, of the world's internet capacity at certain times a day was movies that were streaming. So did, did Reed Hastings know that was gonna happen? Um, or did he spot it before everybody else as an opportunity? I, I don't think he would have had a crystal ball, but I think he might've been an early adopter of saying, here's a new platform. We can take advantage to deliver our product in a whole new way. The, the smartphone is another example that came out a few years later, right? Have people spotted that as a platform? So one, one thing is to consider what's changing in the bigger world. What are the trends, whether they're technical or, or otherwise? Um, and how does that play in? The second part of the answer is, I think the best you can do is create scenarios. And if you could create four scenarios in your market for your business, maybe there's a best case, a worst case, an expected case, and a downside, whatever that range is. And think about how these various factors might be combined. Um, and then you can start to place your bets on one of these scenarios, whilst at the same time, keeping your eyes peeled for early signals, weak signals that the scenario is not the right one. It's not actually gonna pan out that way. I think that's the best we can do about predicting the future, but it's about thinking through what are the factors that are gonna influence this? Again, technical, sociological, health, et cetera and what relevance do those factors have to each business? And then what are the permutations? Um, does, does, that, does that help? Yeah, no, yeah, thank you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, what, one thing we were talking earlier, Ray, about this, um, you know, what, what have I heard? I, I mean, I've, I've probably spoken to, in various capacities, 100 CEOs in the last 100 days. The event last week there were 40 of them on there and i think one or two things i would point out is underlying underlining disruption is many of them back in january would have never countenanced running their businesses when they couldn't see their people in front of them right that's how they built their businesses um, their livelihoods depend on it it was a trust thing but they weren't given the choice they had to make this um, leap to remote and it's remarkable how many minds have been changed. You know, I would say between the first week of March and the third week of March, and a number of them that I spoke to before and after that, by the third week of March, they were saying, it depends on the business obviously, but in their circumstances, we're running as well, as productively as we were before. And remote work is always going to be part of our business model going forward now. From not even, it was an anathema a month earlier to them. Um, it doesn't mean they won't return to the office, but it means um, they will use remote work. They will be able to hire outside of their commute range. They will be able to reduce, they will be able to avoid expanding their premises when their headcount grows by creative use of remote work in the long term. So I think, I think that's an example of the biggest thing I've seen is that so many companies now have been forced to become agile uh, and they've done it well. The question now is if it's new to you, 
how do you sustain that? You might be able to keep it up for a sprint of a few months, but how do you stay agile going forward? And in that sense, interestingly enough, I think a lot of startups have an advantage over mature industries because you run a startup, you're used to living on the edge. You're used to this kind of thing going on in, in some measure. So I think there's lessons that mature businesses can, can learn from startups, not necessarily how to fund, <laughs> but nonetheless, how to operate when you're on the edge. I, I think every business yeah, I think, is close to the edge. Yeah, if I could comment, I think a couple of analogies have been raised by people online. I invite them to say them again. But um, uh, essentially, if you're in a race or you're in a sport, you kind of optimize all your training and all your thinking about what you think you have to do, the capability you got to bring into that event. And yet you're saying the event changes while you're running it. Yeah. Or while you're while you're in the sport and that's that's the part that if you're not if all you're doing is existing in the event you're in trouble because other people may adapt and you're done yeah so and that's why i did a little of that I, that's why i did what i just did that's why i rebooted my machine in the middle of this event right sure, just, sure. <laughs> exactly. exactly um <laughs> I, interesting just one one more item uh it was, you talked of, of things that are just being disrupted and it, to me i noticed that it's all about every every discussion you had was about an industry or a business that had, it really didn't have, technology was driving it, technology tools were changing it, but it, it was a business that was disappearing. The technologies evolved and continued to live on. Um, mm -hmm. And it was interesting to me that one of the examples you didn't bring forward, and maybe there's a reason, maybe not, but you didn't talk about BlackBerry as, a, as an example of disruption. Is there, mm -hmm. is there some story there or is it just, you know, we've got enough examples? Of... No, not at all. I mean, they are, you're, you're right. Um... Maybe I should add them to the deck. This is a Canadian audience after all. This is an Ontario audience, so it's, it's, it's more pertinent here, but absolutely. Sure. And what did BlackBerry do? They moved information around, right? That's what they enabled. They moved it in a physical form because they had a product that you could carry around with you wherever you were, and it was used to move information around, right? Um, yeah. It, it's funny, I looked on my, uh, on my contacts list for some reason the other day and my daughter's contact and I still have her BBM number in that contact, right? <laughs> How long ago is that now, right? Yeah, yeah right. But it's still there, it's, it's, yeah. it's an heirloom. So no, BlackBerry's yeah. a great example, I think. I still have but it's also, it, it, it's also a company that created a cult. I mean, we had Crackberries as people were completely dedicated to their product line. Yeah. And, and, and they're gone, right? They're, yeah. That product line, that value, that value statement's completely gone. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, they they grew up in disruption and they were disrupted in the in the in their cycle in the in a in a market that they created and dominated. So yes, very interesting, um, interesting blind spot maybe as a way to put it. So yep, yep, that's a good one. So other others on the line with questions or comments to Graham. Aslan, um, uh, I just have um, uh, in a question to Graham uh, this morning. Uh, in the news, uh, I think it's, it's Toronto side. They talk about the impact of remote work to the millennium and the next generation, in uh, uh, in a way that um, is might not be uh, helpful for them to build the uh, human interaction and and the uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, ability to build their own network. Unlike the baby boomer who's been around a long time and has been actually built successfully many network and many, uh, you know, relationship. So uh, do you have any comment about that, Graham, in terms of remote uh, and would that work for the uh, uh, millennial from, um, you know, human aspect? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, 
firstly, and I know this will surprise you, I'm not actually a millennial, so I can't speak for them. We, we should ask some millennials. But um, I mean, I can only talk to how I've built relationships and how people I know built relationships. And, you know, whether it's, it's informal or whether it's a business relationship or a client relationship, I think the value of meeting somebody in person is irreplaceable. Once you've met them in person, and I've, I've engaged with a lot of clients, so I might fly out to see them. Um, we spend a few days together, and then after that, we move to this mode. This mode is much richer mm-hmm. if that's happened. Okay. If this is how you meet and you only meet, um, I mean, I, I cannot have conversations over text. I just, I can't do it, right? If it's about groceries, that's fine. But if it's about a difficult topic, huh, you know, stop it. <laughs> Call me. Um, but, but how much of that's generational? I mean, you know, the millennial generation has grown up. Um, like when I, my, my, both my daughters have finished school in the last few years and they've stayed in touch with everyone they want to. Mm. For me, that was a lot harder because it's some time ago, right? I mean, we didn't even have email. Mm-hmm. Um, so I lost touch with people. So in some ways, I think the, the connections are longer lasting, but not as deep. So I, I think the right answer is hybrid. I mean, if we all end up sitting in isolation like this for the next 20 years, then that's, that, that's poor quality of life. And we will do this as long as we need to, and hopefully, you know, not much longer. Um, so, but I, I, think, I think we have to ask millennials because they have a way of making their own decisions now because they've reached that age, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but, you know, do they know what they're missing? It's a good point. Maybe that's the role of, of um, uh, us as parents, um, and, and, and mentors to, um, to help open up. It's definitely a threat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? But we, we could have been sitting at any point in the last 5,000 years and saying that this new technology is a threat to us. <laughs> right? We could have. So how do we adapt? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, other, other questions from those uh, online with us this morning? If, if I may put you on the spot, Graham, can I take you to um, your own survey? You've been doing your consulting business for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, putting aside the pandemic for the moment, um, what's your personal habit for looking at what's coming on the horizon? What's disrupting your business, your, uh, call it your value statement, whatever, or maybe you could put it in the context of any consultant. Yeah, so my personal habit, I mean, I, I subscribe to a number of um, you know, writers, if you will, newsletters, books, etc. I mean, there's people uh, that I admire greatly that I follow. Um, I also change that list up every so often, and I'll unsubscribe from a bunch of lists just because it, it can get stale. Um, so I, I look for others. I talk to people. Um, you know, I read I read the news. Um, some of the news is accurate. The challenge these days is curating. What, what you can follow sure. um, and I try things out and, and I'm lucky enough as I said to mix in a, a, a you know mix with a large number of CEOs so I see what they're doing um, and I mean I'll give you an example one of my clients years ago was Canada's largest laundry company a company called Coinomatic if you lived in an apartment building in Canada you probably used their laundry machines I learned stuff in that business that I've applied in um, for other clients in gas utility risk management or in financial services or in print publishing, you'd never have thought, right? But I, I think, I think it's kind of a, maybe it's somewhat eclectic, but it's a it's a very diverse set of influences. 
um, for me, that that helps. Because then I see trends in, in one area that might presage trends for another. Maybe what's happening, um, you know, in, uh, in, in that area can influence, let's say, mental health, for, some, for example. So I think diversity is, is key. I, I don't just read, in fact, I read very little tech press because um, there's a big pinch of salt <laughs> to be taken. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Uh, Ryan, and um, if we could ask, maybe we probably should wrap up because we're getting towards the end of our time here. But we, you do have plans going forward. Maybe you wanted to share some of some of those items, or if Kelly may have yeah. some things you wanted to share with the audience. Yeah. First, I'll just say uh, thank you everybody for attending uh, the session this morning. Thank you, uh, Ray and Jamal, and obviously thank you, uh, Graham, for um, jumping on with us this morning and. Uh, Appreciate your insights. Um, definitely, if anybody is looking for some additional reading material, I highly recommend uh, checking out uh, Graham's, uh, Graham's book. So thank you very much, Graham. And I will uh, pass it over uh, to Kelly. Oh, I um, thank you again, Graham, for sharing your insights. We will send out Graham's slides after, after um, the presentation here. We are obviously still online through the month of June. Uh, that will be some stuff is being updated onto the calendar as we go along. We'll send out a newsletter. But next week, we've got a marketing session kind of on the do's and don'ts of marketing. It's, it's going to be an open session for anybody really to kind of ask questions about what they're, they're seeing, some of the things that they see, some of the questions that they have. Hopefully, the group will be able to answer on Thursday as our women in tech. But um, gentlemen, you're more than welcome to join the lady that's coming on, she's talking about overcoming overwhelm through priority management, uh, especially I think right now people are overwhelmed with a lot of things that are going, going on. And then of course on Friday is our CEO peer group. And then next week we have sales. So we are, we are updating actually the HR or the people strategies peer group is going to be on Tuesday of the following week. We just haven't put the topic up just yet they're finalizing it so stay tuned to our website and enjoy your day have a great weekend uh, i know it's thursday but it's coming up <laughs> so yeah. have a fantastic day everyone right. thanks thank graham great job graham. Thank, thank you everybody. so much thank you very much thank you, thank you everybody thank you. take care bye, bye. Thanks, take care. bye now everyone bye. stay safe yeah, yeah you thanks. too